glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament lesson will be read from 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 8. And Peter has been talking about the coming of the Lord and the fact that people have been scoffing about this. And he's explaining what seems to be the delay in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. And then from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, this will be the sermon text today. It's where the lectionary takes us. At the very beginning, Mark's Gospel. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As far as the reading from God's holy word, I invite you to turn back in the scriptures to Mark chapter 1. And we'll begin with prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you have put before us uh, your faithfulness. You have put before us the person and work of Christ. We see how you have entered into history. And Lord, we ask that we would go home today with a richer knowledge and a knowledge that we can use for daily life that we would put into practice, that our life, our house would be built on the firm foundation of your word. And we would ask, Lord, that the preaching would be faithful. We ask that our response to you would be as you would desire 
for our good and for your glory, that Jesus would be our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We live in an amazing day of technological advances, things which are beyond what we could have thought about years ago when I was a kid even, and just the thought of even having a, what we call a cell phone, which is actually a little computer that we carry around and how handy that is. And yet, uh, with all the technology and all the good things happening that we're able to do and all the communication, we see that man, man's heart is still desperately wicked. And we see in our age, we hear from Washington and other governments, bad news and more bad news. If you're like me, you'd like to hear some good news. And if you'd like to hear some good news, you can always turn to the New Testament. If you would have guessed the four Gospels, you'd have been correct. But it's more than that. It's the New Testament where we find the good news of God. The Gospel message is that the Son of God has come to be the Savior of his people. When you think of the Gospels, we often think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just for a moment... Just pretend you have not read these Gospels. You don't know what they are. And you picked up this book, and you read it through. Like the books of the Bible. You know, you should read the books of the Bible through and see what the writer is talking about, the author of that book. And as you do that, you see that the writer is going to tell you about Jesus. And he begins with the Gospel. Now, We've heard that word so much that we probably don't even understand what it means. That word in the Greek is euangelion. And it is a word that even the worst Greek student going to seminary gets that word pounded in your head. Because it runs through the New Testament. And what it means is that word that we translate gospel means good news. So prior to what we read here in the New Testament, there's a, an Old Testament background for it that, that we're gonna, we've read in part today in Isaiah. So there's a Jewish component to it, but there's also a pagan component to it. Let's start with the Jewish one first. That comes from Isaiah 40 that we just read for our Old Testament lesson. And Isaiah is talking about the return of God's people from captivity. And if you learned that you are going to get to go back to your homeland, that would be good news, right? That would be good news. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 says, You who bring good tidings... Good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here's your God. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know it was written in Hebrew. But before the time of Christ, 
of his ministry, it was translated into the Greek. A very famous translation is called the Septuagint. And some of the quotations that we have in the New Testament come from that Greek translation. It comes from the Septuagint. And in that Greek translation, you can find the same Greek word, euangelion, here in Isaiah chapter 40. You bring the gospel, the good news to Zion. Go up on a high mountain. You bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift, it, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So we have this return of the people. And along with that, we have this announcement of Christ coming. Isaiah is a, a, a book that speaks much about the birth and the sacrifice of Christ. Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isn't that a wonderful bit of information to learn? Here's your God. Your God reigns. And this thought here of the Lord comforting his people. We get to Isaiah 61, where the writer is talking about the servant of the Lord. And that same euangelion, that same good news is found here. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. When Jesus read this in the synagogue, he just he shut the book up and he said, today this, this passage is fulfilled in, in his person. Because he was the one that the Lord had anointed to preach good news, to preach the gospel. All right, now there's a pagan component to it as well, that the Roman emperors would also use this word to announce their rule. Uh, to, you know, when you think about, let's say, uh, an election in our country. And there's a lot of emotion as to who's going to get to be the president. And so uh, one day after the election, you hear that the guy you voted for won. That'd be good news. I remember calling up somebody four years ago, about six o'clock in the morning, to talk about this. And I think he was doing a happy dance on the floor. The good news, a new king. And so that's how it was used. Or it could be an announcement of a victory. You know, if you're wondering how the army turned out in that battle, and then the messenger comes, we won. You know, the invading army isn't going to take away our freedoms and destroy us. And so here is, is we're reading this book for the first time, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. is Okay, here's some really good news. Jesus 
This person, I'm going to talk to you about, he says. The, the word Jesus means Savior. If you, if you look at the Greek Septuagint, you find that Joshua, under Moses and when he goes into the promised land, is translated Jesus. It's the same name, Yeshua. God is salvation. That's who Jesus is. Not your salvation, or you have to work for it, but God is salvation. The beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Savior, about Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title, Christos. It means the anointed one, and a king would be anointed. And so the, you think about this, this masterpiece that's going to go out, and where's it, where, what's the target audience here? The target audience was the capital city of Rome with his wicked emperor. Who, who, he thought he was a king over the whole world. He thought on his coins that he was God. And here the gospel goes to this place. The ancient writers tell us that John Mark is the author, that Peter was the one recounting the stories to John Mark to write down, and the gospel went to Rome. And as you look through the story, you find a very Roman component to it. You, you see that in this book that would be going to a place where the emperor thought he was the ultimate ruler, where at times there was this cult of the emperor, where you had to burn incense to the emperor and say, Caesar's Lord, that here in this letter, uh, we find out that Jesus is king, that Jesus is a Christ. And you think about this going out in a time frame of when there was Christian, the persecution of the Christians, particularly after uh, the great fire in Rome uh, under Nero, where like 80% of the city burned. And like uh, a politician, Nero had to have somebody to blame. And so who did he blame? He blamed the Christians. And the Christians that were caught could be dipped in pitch and put up on poles for torches in Nero's garden, all sorts of depraved things. He was, they were sewn in skins of animals and, and uh, put out in the arena to have the lions kill of these Christians. There were all sorts of ways in which Christians were killed. And the th thought here, as you read through the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is king. You see how confrontational that would be going to the city of Rome. We have, in the middle of the book, Jesus asking the question, who do you say I am? You know, all this confusion, people think you're this and that. Who, who do you say I am? And Peter's confession, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. 
You're the king. We have the testimony of Jesus himself in Mark 15, when he's under oath before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. We see it in his, in his punishment by the soldiers uh, and during his passion in Mark 15. They put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews, and again and again. They struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put all his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. It was seen in the punishment by the Roman soldiers. That, even more so in the official charge. Somebody is going to have punishment or had to be, what are the charges? Well, here's the charge by the governor, the written notice on the cross, the king of the Jews. We read through the book, the first time we find out who Jesus is. He's the savior. He's a king. And what's even more, he's the son of God. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we have his testimony of this at his trial before the Sanhedrin, the religious people. When he's put under oath, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. We have the testimony of the Roman centurion at the cross when Jesus died. And the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died. Surely this man was the son of God. And so this gospel, in this one sentence, really summarizes the whole thing. And it's an amazing bit of literature. And it's, of course, God's word, so we shouldn't wonder about that. We go on to the second part here, which is the prophecy. And starting in verse 2. And the prophecy is about John the Baptist, what we call John the Baptist, which John the Baptist was not the first Baptist. He, uh, I heard a prominent Baptist uh, preacher explain this, and, uh, and he did a good job with it. it is, he's not John the Baptist, really. He's John the Baptizer would be the better translation. And he was spoken of by the prophets in Isaiah, and we have uh, this command here, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so we have what's up in uh, English is a present imperative, a command that's to be obeyed continuously. And the thought here is of making an ancient road for a king's visit. A king's visit. You're going to take down the high places, you're going to fill in the low places where the road is crooked. You're going to straighten it out because you want to be all ready for the coming of the king. And John's mission in life as a, her as a herald was prophesied in verse 2 and 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him and so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching 
a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So 700 years before Christ, Isaiah spoke of it. 400, 450 years before the birth of Christ, the last book of the Bible, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi said, I, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will, will come to his temple. The end of Malachi chapter 4, 5 and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Four, 400 years before. You'd have to go back as far as the pilgrims coming over on the Mayflower to put our country's history in perspective. And not only was there this prophecy before that in the Old Testament, but also in the New. By angel Gabriel, who comes nine months before the birth of John the Baptist and explains a mission. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was his mission. Gabriel spoke about it uh, to Zechariah, his father, one year before the birth of Christ. This is who John the Baptist was. He had a mission, and he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We have the response of the people here in verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. The whole Judean countryside, everybody, people in Jerusalem, that's quite a distance. They, they go out to see this prophet. They go out because they're moved by the Spirit. Uh, they, they, they go out confessing their sins. Do you know how hard that is to make happen? Because people want to say, no, I didn't do that. I didn't really mean it. Uh, and, and they have their pride in the way of all that. And they don't want to get around to, I guess, you know, we'd probably say we all make mistakes. But, you know, I can't think of any right now. I, I don't know of any sins before God right now. Well, if we were in God's presence and, and the way Isaiah was, Isaiah cried out because he had this conviction of sin about how he talked. And we would find that as well. If we were under conviction, we would, we would learn of sins we had no idea we had because we don't want to see them. But God was moving in that time frame. God was working in the hearts of people. And, and so there's this great movement of people. That's what John brought about. In 2 Peter 3, that's also for us today. That should be our response today. We should know something about repentance because Peter said, the Lord is not slow in, in, being, in not coming right now. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he wants you to come to repentance. And if you can't say, well, I repented, then you're, you're, not, you're not part of what God's doing. Peter said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything and it will be laid bare. So we have to be ready for the Lord's coming. We are, 
have this second coming of the Lord. That's what Advent's about. He came the first time, and, and now he's coming again. And our Lord's second coming will be with fiery judgment. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed, the earth and everything, and it will be laid bare. And Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You, you ought to live holy and godly lives. In other words, you need to be set apart to God, and that idea of being holy, that you're following the, the Lord's will here, and you're living as if there's a God that you're serving. Peter tells us to be, make every effort to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with Christ. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Are you at peace with God? Are you saying no to him, some part of his word? No, no, I, I can't believe that. Shaking your fist at God in some way. Not agreeing with God in some things. Then God calls us to repent. And we need to see the message here. We need to look past any preacher to the person and work of Christ. Now, John the Baptist was quite a sight in a way. He wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People didn't do that even back then. He certainly wasn't a health and wealth preacher, you know, like some of these guys with their jets and, you know, all the all the money you can think of. He, he was not one of those guys. And he's presenting Christ. This was his message, verse 7, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Who's the one we need to focus on? Jesus. He's a star. He's declared to be more powerful than John. And, Je and Jesus said there was no one greater than a, a born among women than John the Baptist. And, but, but John says, I, don't, don't compare with me with him. Don't confuse me with him. He said, I'm not, I'm not worthy to do the least bit of service. And that, that needs to be the attitude for any pastor, any church worker, any church member to realize what a privilege it is to be part of the work of the kingdom of God. That, you know, if you're going to compare us to Christ, we're unworthy to be his lowest servant. That's what John's saying. He's I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his shoes. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we have this repeating message in the New Testament. The various Gospels, Matthew, Luke, have variations of this same questioning of John. Are you the Christ? And John, I'm sure he said this many times to people as different groups would go through and wonder, is he the Christ? And he'd say, uh, no, I'm not. I baptize you the water in the Gospel of Luke. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So I, I'm baptizing you with water. But 
Christ is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's part of the sermon also by Paul in a synagogue in the city of Antioch. As he was going through God's work of salvation, he said, as John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not that one. Nobody's coming after me. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. And so we look to Christ. And as we're repenting and putting our faith in him, we have this promise that we will be baptized with the life-changing Holy Spirit to accomplish things that we can't accomplish on our own, to bring changes in our life that we can't bring about on our own. As you look at this passage of Scripture, it might seem there's not a lot there, but as you unpack it, there's a lot there. And we have to give our attention to the good news of God. And somehow, that never gets old for God's people. The thought that Jesus has come to be your Savior. And this is a wonderful time of year as we sing the hymns and we go through the readings to meditate, to be thinking on the gospel message. We need to respond to our holy God with repentance. So when we agree with God, uh, we turn to him and, and turn away from our own sin and our own sinful attitudes we respond with repentance and prayer. All our ideas, attitudes, and habits need to be evaluated by the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, bringing the word to bear upon our hearts. Prepare the way for the Lord. That's the message. Make straight paths for him. He's coming again in glory. And Christian people look forward. They look forward to this event. They long for it and pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Lord God, thank you for your word. As this letter or book of Mark gets off the ground, we pray that it would impact us, uh, change our thinking, make us more understanding of our Savior, of his majesty, uh, of uh, the humility of our Lord and the privilege we have of serving him. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you call us to faith. Uh, thank you for the promise of your spirit to bring change in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.